All right, so these past few months, we've been in the book of Revelation. Uh, So we started at chapter 1, verse 1. We've been kind of making our way through it. Um, Just as a recap, the book of Revelation is uh, Jesus' message about end times, kind of what's to come. But also a lot of what's in there is a message of uh, there's correction and encouragement to the church, which is us. If you're a believer, you're part of the church. Uh, And so, in the beginning, he has uh, several letters that he writes. Um, In fact, he gives it to John, the Apostle John, who's exiled onto this island called Patmos, which he's exiled there as a prisoner for his faith. And so, Jesus comes to him and gives him this vision of of these just incredible, crazy, fire-breathing dragon-type things. Um, It's amazing. And so, John gets this vision, he's writing it all down. And then Jesus starts giving him these letters that John is then to deliver to these churches in Turkey. And so, Daniel, if you can give me my map of Turkey there. So you see Patmos is down at the bottom, the kind of gray highlighted part. That's where John is on the island. And the letters that are written are Ephesus, Smyrna. They go in kind of clockwise order. And so it's the order that John would deliver them after he gets off the island. So we've been through Ephesus, Smyrna, uh, we skipped Pergamum, Thyatira. Today we're going to be in Sardis, and then next week Philadelphia, and then we'll end in Laodicea. So that's kind of the order that we're in. So today we're in Sardis, like I said. Um, Let me go ahead and just read it so we kind of have some context here. Revelation 3, verse 1 through 6. Write this angel's... Write this angel... Write this angel. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains for what even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. So go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent. Turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly, as unexpected as a thief. Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white, and I will never erase their names from the book of life. But I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine." Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. So that's the letter to the church in Sardis. Uh, Sardis was this, obviously, this city in Turkey. Uh, Can I see my picture of Sardis there? So this is modern day in Sardis. So that's a temple of, uh, I believe it's Artemis, some Greek god or whatnot. Um, There's another picture of a different temple so to kind of give you an idea, that's the, the lay of the land. That's, that's where these, this letter is being sent. There's a, a Christ-believing church there in Sardis that John is to deliver this letter to. Um, and so this is kind of a, a tough letter. There's a lot of um, really hard things that Jesus has to say to this church. And so I love the way that, that Christ begins this letter. He says, I know all the things you do. And I, I skipped over that at first as I was, I was reading this week, and then I, I went back to that. I think he started like that for a reason. Because he's writing this, this convicting, hard letter to this church, 
with a lot of correction and a lot of kind of rebuke, uh, he starts by saying, look, guys, I know everything that you do. You know, you, we may feel often like, like God is just, um, you know, far off, like he's just some far off God in outer space or, or like he's some dead theological idea that just lives in a book. But Christ is saying here, no, I know all the things that you do. You know, half of that is kind of intimidating. It's like, oh, God, you know, you know all the things I do, like every motive I have, every thought that I have, every, everything I, I do that I think I'm hiding from people is kind of intimidating. But it's also really encouraging. It's like, man, God, you know, you know everything about me. You know all of my fears, all of my hurts, all of my insecurities. You know the deepest parts of my soul and my longings. I think Jesus starts this letter by, by saying, guys, I know you. I'm, I'm closer than, than your very soul. I am with you. I know everything that you do. And so he reminds them, he gives them this, this loving reminder right before he gives them some hard correction. So um, this morning, if, if you're feeling unnoticed, any of you feel like, like no one sees you, you feel like, like no one knows you. I can feel that way sometimes. Take heart. Because Christ is saying here that not only does he see everything about you, but he knows you intimately. Take heart. He's not far off. He's with you. So Jesus starts and he says, I know all the things that you do. And he says that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Man, what a terrible thing to hear from the one that you think that you're serving. So like all the guys in this church of Sardis are rolling along. They're just kind of going with it, and they, they think they're doing all the right things. On the outside, everyone would look at them, and they would say, Man, that group of Christians, they, they are such servants. They are such good people. They... They're doing all these right things. They give all their money to the poor, and they, they're the first ones to step up and, and love their neighbors and love their enemies. They're, they're doing all these good things. They have a great reputation. But Jesus looks at them and says, man, you have a good reputation, but I, I see everything, and you're dead. And that's, that's a convicting thing to hear from Christ. And so they, they think that they're doing everything right. They're going through all the motions, but they don't have that heart. They don't have that love for Jesus. And so what, what do we learn from that? Well, I think we learned that, that our reputation matters very little to Christ if it's not backed by godly character and love for him. Jesus doesn't care what, what other people think of us, he doesn't care what, what other people see of us. He only cares about what's really going on deep down inside. And so it reminded me of, of um, the book of 1 Samuel. So Samuel is, is charged with going to find the new king of Israel. And so he goes to uh, Jesse, this, this father with a bunch of these sons, and a bunch of like big brawny, dudes roll up in front of, of Jesse and they're like, hey, Pop, what are we doing? And Samuel says, oh, one of these guys has got to be the next king of Israel. 
Well, as you know, it's not any one of the giant brawny sons. It's the little runt of the family, David, who's out attending the sheep. And so this is what the Lord says to Samuel. He says, look, don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see the things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, this world is so concerned with reputation, so concerned with with how we appear to others. Everyone's concerned with, okay, how do do I look to, to my friends? How do I look on my social media page? What do people perceive of me? Do people think that I'm... I'm a loving person. Do people think that I'm, I'm awesome? Do people think that I'm beautiful? We're, we're so concerned with what other people think of us that we often are like the church in Sardis and we neglect what God thinks of us. Listen to what John Wooden said. He's the greatest college basketball coach of all time. He said, be more concerned with your character than your reputation because your character is what you really are while your reputation is merely what others think you are. So let me ask you here this morning, what is your reputation? Just kind of think to yourself. What's your reputation at home? What's your reputation at school? What's your reputation here at church? You guys kind of have an idea formulated in your mind? All right, now the second question, the important question, what would you say God would say is your character? What would he say about who you really are when no one's around, when no one's watching? That's the important question. And I will just confess to you, when I was in junior high and high school, I, I grew up in this very student ministry before we were even in this building, and I had a great reputation. All of the leaders in the student ministry looked at me and they said, man, that kid loves Jesus and he's such a servant and he's so respectful and submits to authority and, and he, he's so wise for his age, like... People, people would say those kinds of things, but what they didn't know was the real Kalen. So I had this face that I would put on at church, and then when I got home, I was a jerk to my parents. I was the laziest kid you ever met. I had an addiction to pornography that I was totally fine with. I was a completely different person at home than I was in public. And so I had a great reputation, but I had to ask this hard question at that time. Okay, God, what do you think of my character? And I heard some pretty tough things that I needed to hear. And so I asked that hard question of myself early in college. And so I encourage you to ask that question of yourself here this morning. God, what do you think of my character? Because that is all that really matters. Now, I mean, I don't want to give the wrong impression. We will never have 100% pure motives. While we live on this earth, while we, we still wrestle with the sinful nature, while we still are, are, are wrestling with the world and the enemy, 
we're never going to have 100% pure motives until we're with Christ in heaven. But the goal is not to be perfect. The goal is to be progressing in our desire to please Christ over our desire to please people. And that's what Jesus is saying to this church, saying you guys are way more concerned about pleasing the people around you than you are about pleasing me. And that's not okay. So Jesus goes on to say, after, after he gives the problem, so we, we see the problem is reputation versus character. If they don't line up, then there, there's an issue. Okay, so how do we fix that? Well, he goes on to say, wake up. Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. All right, so what does it mean to wake up? Well, I think it first means that we have to open our eyes. Like physically, if I'm waking up out of bed in the morning, what do I do? I open my eyes. And so a lot of us are spiritually blinded to the truth of our situation. We just don't think about it. We don't think about the reality of, of our character. And so we need to open our spiritual eyes and see what does God really think of our character. So when, when I'm waking up in the morning, I, I open my eyes, but then I get up and I start moving. I start doing action. And so you need to open your spiritual eyes to see your situation, and then you need to start moving. You need to start putting actions into place. So what has lulled you to sleep? That's the question you got to ask. What, what are you just kind of sleepwalking through life in? Maybe it is something like you've, you've become okay with an addiction to pornography or drugs or, or social media or whatever. Maybe you've become okay with being a jerk to your parents. Maybe you've become okay with, with lying any time it's not convenient. Whatever your situation, you have to take an honest assessment of your life and say, okay, what, what has lulled, lulled me to sleep? What am I okay with that God's not okay with? So second, it says, then you have to strengthen what remains and is about to die. So we wake up and then we strengthen what remains and is about to die. I had a hard time with this phrase, strengthen what remains and is about to die, because I just didn't understand practically what, what does that mean? What, what does that mean for me? And so as I was praying about it and thinking about it, I feel like God gave me a picture uh, to help me understand this. And so uh, can I see my flower? So this is my backyard, and I think that's a hibiscus. Any gardeners in here? Uh, it's a plant. It's a flower. It's pretty. That's it. It's pretty. Um, so beautiful flower, beautiful green leaves. This was when we first moved into our house six months ago. Um, fast forward to yesterday. Can I see my next picture? That's what I've done to our flower. Me and my wonderful gardening skills, or lack thereof, have all but killed this thing. So the question is, why, why has this thing died? Well... <laughs> I'm no gardener, I'm no botanist, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I don't know specifically, I'm sure there's a lot. But overall, the biggest thing I've done to let this thing die is I have not cared. I just haven't cared about it. I haven't kept watering it, I haven't given it fertilizer, I haven't treated it for bugs or whatever. I've just stopped caring about it. I kind of put it out of, out of sight, out of mind. I was like, eh, it'll be fine. It'll, it'll take care of itself. 
Well, it didn't take care of itself. And I have almost let this thing completely die. But if you'll see there at the bottom, there's a little bit of green left. So most of it is dead. But what remains is, is alive. But if I don't do something, it's about to die. And so what, what do I need to do here? I, I need to start watering it. I need to ask Burl how to garden better. I need to start fertilizing it. I, I need to start doing some things to take care of this thing that's about to die. And so it's the same thing with us. What have you neglected in your life? What, what used to be a beautiful flower that you've just kind of put on the back burner, out of sight, out of mind, and it's been allowed to just die? Could be your, your prayer life. Maybe you used to pray these passionate prayers for others, for your life, and now it's just kind of, I don't know, God, do the thing, whatever. Just going through the motions. Maybe it's your time in the Word. Maybe you used to just love spending time getting to know God and His Word, and now you're just kind of checking off the box. Yeah, I did the thing. Or maybe it's, it's your purity. Maybe you used to have this beautiful flower of purity, but you've kind of allowed it to die a little. Whatever it is, it's not dead all the way. There's hope. Jesus is saying, strengthen what remains before you let it die all the way. And so you need to start giving it attention. You need to start giving it some care that it, that it needs. So whatever that may be, begin focusing on it. Begin asking God how he wants you to, to garden better. So Jesus continues here. He says, I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. I think this is just reiterating what Jesus has already said about reputation versus character. You see, this church is doing all these good things for God. For God. They're doing all the right things, and they think that they're on the right track, but Jesus is saying, look, you, you guys are missing the mark here. There's the standard that, that I've said, you're way, way off, even, th- even though you think that you're right on. Jesus is telling these guys, look, the, the point of, of you following me is not so that I have a bunch of, of busy bee workers doing all the work for me. I, I don't want employees. That's not why I saved you. I saved you so that you could fall in love with me. Jesus isn't looking for employees. He's looking for lovers. He's looking for friends. He's looking for sons and daughters. And so we think oftentimes that that if we just keep doing all the right things, that we'll be okay. But Jesus is saying, look, it's not about doing the things first. The first thing that I care about is your heart. Do you love me? Do you want to know me? Do you want to please me? That's what Christ cares about. And isn't that freeing? It's so freeing to know that that I don't have to perform for Christ. I don't have to perform to live up to to what, what I think the perfect Christian looks like. All I have to do is love him. All I have to do is want to please him. But here's the deal. We can't change ourselves. I can't make myself love Jesus more. 
Only he can do that in me. And so I have to come before him in humility and in desperation and say, God, I can't change myself. There's nothing I can do to make me love you more. And so you have to do it inside of me. Would you come and do a powerful work in me? Stir my affections for you. And he'll do it. That's, that's a prayer, guys, that he loves to answer. So listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 20. Along these same lines of, of someone doing all the right things but, but missing the heart. He says, by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. These guys that Jesus is talking about are, are doing all the right things, but they missed the whole point of it. They missed the heart of Jesus. Jesus isn't looking for workers. He's not looking for employees. He's looking for lovers. He's looking for lovers. So he goes on to say in this letter, go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. So you have to think back on, okay, what's the truth that I heard at first? And whatever your struggle is, What's the truth that I heard at first? If you're, if you're struggling with a, a dry heart towards Christ, okay, the truth I heard at first was you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, and think about it. Okay, what, what does that mean to love the Lord with all my heart? Okay, that means all my affection, all my love. All my, he, he's looking for, for my emotions to be pointed at him. Okay, what about my, my mind? Love him with all of my mind. And that means to love him with all my thoughts, that I would think about what's pure and honorable and righteous, and, and that I would meditate on his word and on, on what he tells me to do. And so you start thinking back on what you've heard. Everyone in here has heard truth that we've just forgotten. We are the most forgetful creatures. We humans forget so much that we have to constantly be reminded of the truth. So remember what you've heard. And then he says to keep it. So the word here in, in Greek just means to take care of it, to guard it. And so it's like, like you're given this, this treasure. It's like, like you're given a, a, a gold coin. What do you do with it? Well, you, you stick it in your pocket and you make sure no one's going to pickpocket you and you, you hang on to it real tight so that, that you don't lose it. That's the same thing with the truth that God has spoken to you. You remember it, and then you shove it in your pocket. You say, I'm never going to let this go again. You have to guard it. You have to keep it. And then he says, then you have to repent and turn to me again. So repent means you're going one way, and then you change the way that you think. You change your direction. Okay, I'm going to go this way now. You know, we, I think as, as American Christians, or, or maybe Christians globally, I don't know, at least us in America have trained ourselves to hear convicting words, whether it be in a sermon or in a small group or in our own quiet time. We hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit through his truth, and then we walk out the door unchanged. We have trained ourselves to, to be satisfied with the convicting feeling, but not to actually walk it out, 
Guys, that's not repentance. Repentance is actually hearing the truth, humbling yourself, ask forgiveness, and then changing what you're doing. And so God's saying here, you have to repent. You have to change the way that you're going. Then he says, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. So he's saying, he gives a a big if here. Look, if you will not wake up, I'll come like a thief. That communicates to me that he's given us a choice. There is a choice that he has laid out before us. Look, you can either choose to continue walking towards life, or you can choose to continue walking towards death. Those are the only two choices you ever have in anything. Everything that you do, every decision that you make, Every, every thought that you allow to captivate your mind, every action you take, either pushes you closer to Christ or pushes you away from him. Nothing is neutral. Nothing is neutral. And so you have to, to recognize that God has given you a choice here today. Just like he gives you every day. Are you going to choose the path of life? Or are you going to choose the path of death? It says, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to come against you for your good because you're going one way and you're not, gonna, and you're not listening to me, so I'm going to put up a roadblock in your life so that you are forced to then turn back to me. Guys, you don't want God to put a roadblock in your life and force you to turn back to him. I've been there. It's not fun. Obey him first. Walk in his, his will at first, and then you won't have to experience the hardships of those, those roadblocks. There's going to be other hardships, but it won't be because of your own sin. And he does it because he loves us, because he wants to draw us near to himself. He wants to save us from, our, he wants to save us from ourselves. I mean, our own flesh wants to drag us away from Christ every single day. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to pull you back to me. I'm going to pull you back. So listen to the promise that that Christ lays out for those who decide to wake up and not just coast on reputation alone. It says, Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white, and I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. So this, this picture here of, of these soiled clothes is just a picture in, in the book of Revelation mainly of, of somebody who has walked in, in purity and in righteousness, someone who has, has stood firm for Christ in the face of persecution. And so there's, there's reward here that he's laying out for those of you who will, who will say yes to him today, who will repent and turn to him. He says, you'll walk with me in white. That means forever. It means no more sin, no more death, no more fear, no more anxiety. That's what Christ promises us in heaven if we will receive his gift of salvation and pursue him. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that, that we are saved 
by our works. Not at all. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. What I am saying is that when we are saved, it means that we don't just believe something different, we become something different. And when we become something different, we have changed desires, we have changed motivations, we have changed affections. And so we will then want to honor Christ. We will then want to make our lives count for his glory. We will uh, want to become more and more like him. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. Like I said earlier, we, we wrestle with the flesh. We wrestle with the world. We wrestle with the enemy. It's always coming against us. But it means that we will be wanting, we'll have that desire there to love Christ more, to obey him more. And so this is the promise that he has for, for those who will receive his gift of salvation and, and pursue him. It says, they'll walk with me in, in white, and I will never erase their names from the book of life. Guys, once, once Christ has you, once he has saved you, nothing can ever take you out of his grasp. He will not erase your name from the book of life. That is such an encouragement. Because your salvation doesn't depend on yourself. Your salvation depends on the God of heaven and what he says is final. And so he has saved you. He will complete you to the end. He will carry you all the way to the end. Dwight, you guys can make your way up here as we close. This is a really challenging letter. Um, I know that. It's been challenging to me as I've been studying it, as, as I've been reading it this week. And so the question is, will we take this challenge that, that God has laid before us, before us and will we, uh, will we repent and actually walk out what he's asking us to do, or will we continue to walk in the direction that we're going? Now, for some of you guys, that, that's always to varying degrees. So uh, some of you guys need to change 180 degrees, and some of you guys are, are doing, doing really well in your relationship with Christ. You love him with all your heart, and you're pursuing him, and you just need to make little adjustments. But for all of us in this room, we need to change, whether a little or a lot. So... As we close, would you go ahead and pull out your pen and paper from under your seat? If you would, just take a moment and bow your head, close your eyes, just to remove distractions, get quiet before the Lord. The holy God of heaven is here in this room. For those of you who are Christians, he's living inside of you. He wants to speak to you this morning. So I just want you to ask him, just real simply, Lord, how do you want me to change?
What parts of my reputation don't match my character? In what ways am I, am I just going through the motions here? Whatever he's speaking to you, write it out. Something powerful and beautiful and wonderful happens when we confess our sins before the Lord. So whatever he's convicting you of, write it out. And then take whatever he's spoken to you and just write out a simple prayer. Something along the lines of, God, I can't change myself. I can't do this alone, but you can. Would you hold infinite power to change me? So would you come and do what only you can do? Change my heart. Give me the strength to repent. Whatever he's convicting you of here this morning, he is asking you to wake up, to open your eyes to the reality of your situation and to make a change. He's doing that because he loves you. He loves you enough not to let you to continue to walk down a destructive path. That's why Jesus took the the time to write these letters to these churches. He could have left us on our own without any instruction or truth, but instead, because of his infinite love for us, he gave us his word so that we could get to know him, we could get to know what pleases him. So he's laid before you this morning two paths. You can either choose life or you can choose death. You can choose blessing or curse. When you walk in God's ways, you walk in his blessing. You walk in his joy. You find a happiness that you can't find through a video game or a relationship or the latest Marvel movie or anything out there. When you are walking with Christ, That's where your highest happiness is. Nothing else can compete with that. So don't allow yourself to walk out of this room the same as how you walked in. Whatever he's calling you to do, make a firm resolve. Make a firm resolve between yourself and the Lord. Tell a trusted friend, whatever you can do, to make that decision that I was going this way and now I'm going to change my direction and go the other way. I'm going to repent. And then if you will, here's the promise 
for those of us who are in Christ, who are new creations, who, who are not perfect, but who are growing in what it means to love him, to please him more than others. He says, all who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, and I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. Jesus, we thank you for that truth this morning. Lord, thank you that you care enough about us to care more about our character than our reputation. Thank you that you want us to wake up so that we can experience our highest joy, highest happiness in living for you. And Lord, thank you that that you promise that those who are in you will walk with you in in white robes and in righteousness and in, in purity forever will enjoy your presence forever and that you will say that we are yours. We belong to the infinite king, the sovereign king of the universe, the Lord of angel armies would say that that you are mine. God, that's an incredible truth. Help us to believe it. Or give us the strength to change today. In Jesus' name. Students, as we continue to respond, we have our tithes and offerings. Uh, we have our communion. We're going to worship through song. But, but in the heart of this message, talking about not just going through the motions, not just checking off the box. Let's do these things with our whole heart. And if you don't feel your heart in it, that's okay. Just admit that to Christ. Say, God, I don't, I don't feel like doing this. I don't have any desire to do this, so change me. And he will change your heart. So as we take communion, as we, we worship together, let's give all of ourselves to the one who gave all of himself for us. Let's worship together. <laughs>